Welcome to What the Fate Podcast. I am your host, Julie Gaskins, and please join me as we dive into the never-ending abyss, (laughs) also known as special education in public schools. I had no idea how widespread this problem really was until I met other parents that were experiencing the same problems or, God forbid, worse. Uh, Our goal here is to share our experiences and talk about the solutions that helped or hindered our children and how we can help shape special education law at the local, state, and federal levels. Join us. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Let's dive into FAPE and what it means and uh, how it's applied or misapplied or just not applied at all. Um, FAPE is a law that was signed uh, by President Gerald Ford on, or FAPE is a part of the law, excuse me, that was signed into law by President Gerald Ford on November 29th, 1975. It falls under the Individuals with Disabilities Act. Um, and that law covers everything. It ensures that children who have special needs receive a FAPE, or what's known as a free, appropriate public education. Um, this law is the foundation for all the civil rights laws that are applied to students with disabilities. It also guarantees that um, you know students receive a FAPE in the least restrictive environment, or what you'll see in uh, educational materials uh, as the acronym is LRE. Um, and again, that stands for least restrictive environment. So we don't want to get off on that too far because we'll do a separate show on that. But what that basically means is that, you know, if you have a child who uh, is receiving special education, uh, one, they must be in the general ed setting. And then two, if there's something that prevents your child from receiving all of the services that they're supposed to receive within the general ed setting, um, the school system cannot pull your child completely out of the classroom to educate him or her. Um, they must be around other students and they don't have, the students don't have to be uh, students in special ed. The law requires that they're in the general population. Um, and that's really important because a lot of school systems try to um, pull the children out and separate them from the other kids, and that's against the law. Um, There's a really horrible case that happened here in uh, Maryland where a 17-year-old special needs child uh, died after choking on a a plastic glove. Um, There's so many questions surrounding that. uh, And I mean, I just feel horrible for his parents, but uh, recently the school system uh, you know, clearly said that that was negligence and, and, you know, on the part of the school system, uh, because it it just shouldn't have happened. Um, but these are the types of things that, um, this law is, is in place for, um, you know, we can imagine how many horror stories happen, uh, before this law took place. Um, and actually how many are unfortunately are still going on, but what we, must focus on is the fact that one every child in wherever you're from across this country 
uh, is entitled to a free, appropriate public education. Now, when your school system cannot provide that, and you've documented that accordingly through your IEP, they're not making progress, um, you can ask for the school system to put your child in a non-public school that will help him or her. Um, it's a fight. And that's something else we'll talk about on another show because that's where we are now, me, uh, with our, with my, my child. Um, it's a battle and it's, it shouldn't be. That's number one. It, this should not be something that you fight for years and years and years because again, the goal is to help the child. We're not here to help the, and this may sound harsh, we're not here to help the school system, the school the administrators, the school, I mean, I, all of it, that's secondary to, um, all of it is secondary to, uh, you know, your child and making sure he or she receives a, a appropriate education. Um, and when that's hindered, that's where violations come in. Um, and it's important for parents to recognize that, um, if the IEP is not being file, followed, that's a, a FAPE violation. Um, and we'll talk about that when we go into the Andrew F. Uh, SCOTUS ruling. Um, they made it very clear in that decision that, you know, the child must be able to have goals that are, one, attainable, and then two, that are that will push him or her. I mean, you just can't, just because, you know, Johnny or, or Susie is a, a quiet child, you can't just push them through the, the system and, and, you know, not teach him or her because, you know, they, they have a learning disability or whatever the situation the uh, situation may be. Um, but here in Baltimore, that, that tends to be what happens. Um, we had a project Baltimore story, uh, I think it was last year where they, found that uh, a special needs high school here in the city, they just graduated kids who showed up, kids who were quiet, kids who didn't do anything. Um, you know, they could barely read or write, but hey, you know, they get their check, it didn't matter. They get their data, their quote unquote data, you know, to push out to the legislators in Annapolis to say, oh, hey, we did this, we did that, we did this. And it's all lies. I mean, there's nothing factual about that whatsoever. And we see that um, every year when we have kids that cannot do basic things. Um, and even for, and let's put aside special needs kids for a minute. Let's look at the kids that are in the regular classroom. Most of them, when they go to college, they have to take remedial courses. Why? Why is that? There's no reason for that. Baltimore City spends about roughly about fifteen dollars to sixteen thousand dollars per student, per student, okay? And there's no reason for any child in this school system to come out of high school needing remedial coursework when they get to college. There's no reason for that. Um, but again, that's another show. Uh so we will um, discuss that one too. And again, if you have um, situations you want to come on and talk about, you can send an email to julie at iepmommedia.com. Again, it's julie, G, I'm sorry, 
Julie G at IEPMomMedia.com. Julie G at IEPMomMedia. So that's IEPMomMedia.com. Okay. You can send that information to me and uh, we'll work to get you on. We'll figure out a way we can do it. Um, you know, if we have to do it by phone or wherever, we'll, we'll make it work. But I, I'm, I love to hear your stories. It, it gives me um, strength. Um, and it also, um, it reminds me that, uh, you know, we, we're not alone. And, and that's what I felt like for so long. Um, because I, I, one, I just couldn't believe that, you know, a school system would treat children this way. And then two, treat parents who complain about the system in, in the manner in which they treat them. But I'm learning it's, it's, it's what they do. I mean, it's what they do. It's how they handle, uh, people who challenge them. Um, so, uh, I know it's a process. Um, and I, I, I want to talk to those of you who've gone through it or who are going through it so we can encourage others to hang in there um, and we can share our experiences and hopefully, uh, you know, give helpful hints on what to do, what not to do, um, and how to really get the solutions you're looking for and not just um, talk from, you know, talk from uh, administrators or people who just want to, quote unquote, uh, pacify you in the moment. Um, so that's something I'm also looking forward to. But back to faith um, and the uh, foundational law around special education. The IDEA or the Individuals with Disability Act um, Again, like I said, it ensures that our kids receive a FAPE or a free, appropriate public education. Um, it is what governs the IEP. Uh, the Department of Education also has an office of the U.S., excuse me, the U.S. Department of Education also has an office of civil rights. And their whole thing is making sure that they protect uh, students' rights under that FAPE, uh, that section of FAPE, um, and protecting the rights of those who uh, challenge school systems because a lot of parents don't, understand, don't know or just aren't aware um, that from the time you file a complaint, for an example, with uh, the U.S. Department of Education Office of Civil Rights, I abbreviate that as OCR, or even your state uh, Department of Education, that automatically is considered protected activity. So any adverse action taken after you have filed a complaint is, con is considered uh, retaliation. Um, So 
that's something that um, most people don't really understand because, I mean, it's not complicated. I mean, it's, it's, people tend to make it a lot harder than it really is. Uh, for an example, somebody may say, oh, well, this person retaliated against me because, or they retaliated against me by saying, you know, uh, I am quote unquote, that mom, that, that doesn't qualify as retaliation. What qualifies as retaliation is when, let's say for an example, they, um, your child takes a bus home and prior to the complaint, your child was coming home, let's say at, I don't know, three o'clock. Okay. After the complaint, your child doesn't get home till seven or eight o'clock at night. And this happens a few times after a complaint is filed, or let's say, um, you know, you file a complaint and then two or three weeks, two or three weeks later, your child is physically assaulted, uh, by another student. I mean, just out of the blue, just, you know, not saying, you know, we know our kids, right. But for someone just to walk up and assault a child out of the blue, yeah, they're going to look at that and say, okay, this is a retaliatory act. That's something we'll talk about a little later, but please understand that you and your child have rights and you have a responsibility to protect them. Don't become intimidated. And as long as you have breath in your body, you must make sure you stand behind the people that stand up for the kids. That's it. Um, this journey has been long and hard. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, people get, uh, what's the good, what's the good word here? People get very nervous. People get very, uh, scared when you start to ask questions about things that aren't right, things that don't sound right, things that don't look right. But you, again, like I said, you have a responsibility and a right to protect your child and, and other children within the school system. Um, it, that, that's just a given. It, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, and, and don't allow these people to intimidate you because chances are they're... Chances are you're on the right track and what you're doing will help not just your kid, but other kids to come, Okay. Um, and that's usually the goal that we all want. We want to make sure that no other parent or child has to experience what our kids went through. Um, and we want things to be better. We don't want to make them worse. Um, and we'll talk about, like I said, we'll talk more about my situation and, uh, what happened. Uh, we'll go a little more into detail once everything is done, but, um, exposing it, addressing it, and holding people accountable is something we have to do. It's not, it's not an option anymore. We can't, you know, duck our head in the sand and say, oh, well, maybe this will get better. No, it won't. It's up to us. Okay. Um, so let's, let's look at the history of disability rights in, for students uh, in Baltimore. 30 or well, a little more than 30 probably more than 40 years ago now there was a case here in baltimore city called 
uh, Von G versus the mayor and city council of Baltimore. Von G uh, was a, I think there were about maybe 10 or maybe 20, I don't know, I'm not sure the number, plaintiffs in this case, okay? But Von G was the lead plaintiff and lead plaintiff just means he was the main person on the caption when they, you know, filed the case. We'll talk about Von G a little later. For 30 plus years, Baltimore City Schools put up a huge fight against this local disability rights organization. I mean, when I say huge, I mean huge. Um, Judge Garbus, U.S. District Court judge here in Maryland, threatened to jail, you know, city school uh, leaders at that time because he was just tired of their crap. Um, and I often wonder what would have happened if he had done that. Uh, would, have, would, it have, would it have changed the trajectory of how schools are run in the city? I don't know. Um, but clearly, uh, the school system at that time believed they did not have a responsibility or even uh, they, they, they felt like they didn't have to follow you know, the IDEA uh, for whatever reason. Um, they felt like, you know, kids and black kids, especially in special education, didn't need special education. So they weren't going to follow the law. So after 30 plus years of that fight, which is ridiculous because that meant that generations of children never received services. Okay. 30 years, right? That's crazy. Um, so after this 30 year fight, um, they finally settled, if you want to call it that. And, you know, I don't even know how they begin to fix this because by this time, Von G is an adult. Uh, you can't award him compensatory services because Von G, by this time, he had committed murder, or Von, his name is Von Garris now. He, com uh, he allegedly murdered his. Um, neighbor okay and i i don't want to take away from the pain that the father of the girl who, who was killed experienced but again what would have happened if city schools would have educated this young man instead of pushing him through the school how do we hold baltimore city public schools responsible for the death of that young woman doesn't that change how things operate now? Because the blood that runs through the streets of Baltimore, it's just not on the, the people, you know, the bad guys who commit these murders anymore. Mm -mm. It's on Baltimore City Public Schools and each and every legislator for Baltimore City who ignores the fact that Baltimore City Public Schools fails to educate our, our children. And they fail majorly. Um, there's nothing to show us that during that 30 year period, Baltimore City Public Schools educated these special needs children and followed the law. There's nothing to show that. In fact, it's quite the opposite, okay? We have evidence, I have evidence that Baltimore City Public Schools didn't follow the law. They still don't follow the law, okay? Um, why? 
because they feel like legislators in Annapolis will turn a blind eye. I've testified in Annapolis in support of Governor Hogan's Accountability and Education Act. Other parents have testified. Why don't we get a law that will support the kids in Baltimore City and across the state of Maryland to hold people accountable for what goes on in our school system? It's not hard. We should not have to pull in you know, OCR and, and the U.S. Department of Education to make sure that our school systems are following the law. Unfor well, it's not unfortunate. It is fortunate for those of us who are, who are going through this. Um, because it is a federal law, you know, OCR can come in and enforce it because federal law supersedes state law. And, uh, you know, they can come in and subpoena and if necessary, refer things to the Department of Justice. Um, but the whole thing here is for 30 plus years, okay? Here in Baltimore, Baltimore City Public Schools felt like they didn't have to, to provide special needs, special needs children with uh, an education, okay? They thought maybe the child just needed to work harder or uh, he wasn't he or she wasn't pushing himself. OK, they didn't believe in special education. All right. Um, and I get the whole thing with, you know, some school districts uh, that are majority white, that they may uh, over. Um, populate special education with African-American children, especially boys. I get that. Okay. But again, uh, what happens when you have a child that has special needs and you're not doing anything? It doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that that child needs an education and you're failing at doing that. Okay. None of that negates any of that. Um, if a child is in special education and, um, he or she doesn't need it, fine. Um, document it accordingly and bring the parent in and talk to him or her about it. And if they agree, that's fine. I, I know we came to Baltimore City from Baltimore County with an IEP and the principal at the school told me my, my child did not need an IEP because uh, he was articulate. I'm like, of course he's articulate, he's my child. But what does that have to do with the IEP? There was more to it than what, you know, they were, basically what he was trying to say is that the school system, because it was majority white, that they were trying to place my son in uh, spe special ed for uh, a host of other reasons. But it turned out later on that he actually needed special education for another reason. Um, and it, the logic that these people use to uh, get around special education laws is mind boggling. Um, one, because the IEP is a legal document. Two, um, whatever they put on there, for whatever reason, if they lie about it, somebody can come back and say, well, look, you, you know, you said this here on such and such date. How is this not accurate anymore, right? It's just like a deposition. 
Um, for those of you that are familiar with law, if you say one thing in a deposition and you say something else, you know, at trial, uh, the judge is going to look at you like you're crazy, just like the jury. And your testimony will not be permitted in court. Um, likewise, uh, I think it's fair that if a person lies, there's no other way to put it, excuse me, but if a person lies on IEP and it gets to the point where it's in court, then sure, um, that person's testimony should not be permitted. Now, probably that, you know, if they get good lawyers um, and not the in-house lawyers, because that's a whole nother show, but if they get good lawyers, the good lawyers won't even put that stuff on the stand because they know, you know, a judge would see right through it. Um, but again, it's, it's really important that you understand how important it is for you to advocate for your child and your rights as the parent, um, because no one else is going to do it for you. Okay. And I know here in Baltimore, uh, parents are retaliated against, um, some are even threatened. Um, I've been to back to school nights where some people even mention ice. They wouldn't call ice if, if the child didn't show up, but you know, they, they, they could send the parent to jail if the child didn't come to school. Now, I know parents in Montgomery County here in Maryland and also in Fairfax in Virginia. <laughs> the parents in Fairfax would dare you, dare you to threaten them with jail when it came to their child. There's no other way to put it. Okay. And that person, the person who made the statement at back to school night would have been fired immediately without question. And probably the same thing in Montgomery County too. But only here in Baltimore, we get these flakes, and there's no way to put it, they're flakes, um, who feel like they can make these statements and uh, not be held accountable to them, or for them, excuse me. Uh, but we'll talk more about retaliation on a separate show and, and again, what's going on with my case. But uh, back to the U.S. Department of Education um, and FAPE and what they enforce. Um, OCR enforces the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, or what we know as Section 504, um, and the ADA, or the Americans with Disability Act of 1990. Um, all of this falls under IDEA, okay? Um Section 504 governs the federal funding to public elementary and secondary schools. Um, specifically, it says, quote, no otherwise qualified individual with a disability in the United States shall solely by reason of her or his disability be excluded from the participation in, be denied of the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. And it, it goes on after that, but that's how you get OCR involved. When your child is excluded from, denied benefits, 
or subjected to, to uh, discrimination in any program that receives federal funding, that's a violation, okay? Um, not following the IEP, that's a denial of benefits. Um, refusing to follow you know, recommendations of a state or federal agency, that's also a violation. Um, and we'll talk more about that in detail, but just that small section there is how OCR, that opens the door for OCR. And I know I've talked to some of you who weren't sure about, you know, how cases are handled through OCR, but it, it, it is a, it's a process and you have to learn how to step back, take off your mom or your dad hat, step back and isolate the facts so that when you present it to OCR, they can say, okay, this checks off, this checks off, that checks off, we have a case. And then that will open the door for OCR to come in and do their investigation. Um, I know if you're like me, you, you want to throw the whole kitchen sink in there. You, you want to start from the beginning, you know, on such and such date this happened, on such and such date that happened. And yes, they like this, the uh, specifics. They, they, they need that information. But you need to isolate it down to the law that was violated, right? And anything that may have happened after that. For an example, let's say you followed an OCR complaint uh, and OCR sends a letter to your school district regarding your situation. It's really, really important that you document everything that happens after that letter is sent to your district, okay, or after the case is open. Why? Because that's usually when, when school systems will retaliate. Um, again, we'll go more into detail about that later, but um, they receive a letter, a detailed letter from OCR that tells them that retaliation is against the law. Okay, and they cannot retaliate because right now what you're doing is considered protected activity. Um, so ignorance of the law is no excuse to uh, break it um, because once they receive that letter, they're no longer ignorant. Um, so, uh, like I said, this branch of the uh, Department of Education, OCR, they have a huge responsibility. And we as parents, um, if we are not aware of what OCR can do or um, how they enforce the law, we, we feel like, you know, no one's really helping us. But we once you step back and you, you put on your advocate hat and you look at the law, look at how it's applied, um, look at other cases where they've applied a law that's similar to your situation, then you begin to understand, okay, I need to isolate this thing, pinpoint facts, and present it in a way where they can go in and say, look, this happened, this is retaliation, you know, the school district must respond, okay? Um, again, Little slights here and there, they don't consider that retaliation. Uh, threats, harassment, um, 
denial of benefits, those are all violations of, you know, 504 and, and, and fate that, well, it's a violation of the law and they, they know it. School systems know it. They, they receive training on it, on how to get around, you know, OCR, um, and how to get around like recent um, Supreme Court uh, rulings like uh, Andrew F. They hold whole sessions on, on things like that, which tells me that one, they are aware of what they're doing, okay? Anytime you hold a, a session on uh, how to get around, how to protect yourself from Andrew F. Uh, rulings, that's clear evidence to me that you know what you're doing, too, you know that you're doing or what you're doing is wrong. And um, we as parents, we need to have, I don't want to say the same mindset, but we need to be proactive. We need to talk about, one, what's going on in our school districts. Two, if there are district leaders that participate or encourage that type of retaliation, we need to address it and address it head on. We need to talk about ways to change the law, local, state, and federal levels, okay? Or give the law more teeth so that children don't have to wait five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years to receive the services they should have received when they were in first grade. Um, it's the tactic used is one that's used in litigation and it's, um, it's to discourage and dissuade people from protecting their rights. They use it during the civil rights movement. Um, it's, it's not new. It's not a new tactic. Um, but we need to, to, we need to, if we need to go through, you know, Congress or our local, uh, leaders to change that law at a state level and a federal level so that, you know, when we see a problem, it must be addressed within 60, 90 or 120 days. We don't wait, you know, like in, in this case in Baltimore, 30 years. There's no evidence to show that these children ever receive the services they need. And then the other thing that I forgot to mention, this is critical. During that time, that was the height of the lead poisoning, um, lead paint poisoning cases here in Baltimore. So imagine you have kids, kids that were exposed to lead paint poisoning. And then those kids and their parents are being told, oh, well, um, Shakira and, and uh, Tyrone, they just need to work harder. They don't have any um, special needs. But mind you, they were exposed to lead paint. And in some instances, uh, they were exposed intentionally. Uh, that's another topic for another show. Um, and they were refused services by Baltimore City Public Schools. I, it's it's mind-boggling to me that these people are not in jail for that because um, we have, we're seeing uh, historic highs of the crime rate here in Baltimore. And for those of you that are familiar with um, lead paint poisoning and what it does to the brain, one of the main things that world-renowned experts have said over and over again, and it's clearly documented that lead paint poisoning causes impulsivity. And what does that mean? Like uh, you have um, Johnny or Becky and um, they're exposed to high lead levels as a child. When they get older, 
They may have, you know, ADHD. They may have, or they may be diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and they may have impulsive behavior. So they're not going, like if they're in a group of kids that may have, where, where there may be a gun or a situation that's just not good, they're not going to think first. They're just going to react and be impulsive. Okay. So while these kids were exposed to lead paint poisoning, um, they were being denied the right to a special education here in Baltimore City. There's no other way to put it. Um, city leaders didn't do anything about it. They just felt like kids needed to work harder. Parents weren't doing enough. And, uh, you know, we had so many single parent homes. Okay, yeah, we do have a lot of single parent homes. Uh, 44, Barack Obama, he came from a single parent home. And he was also a Harvard Law School uh Harvard Law School grad and also president of the Law Review. Um, there are many instances of many single parents who pushed their kids through school, worked maybe two or three jobs to do it, and they didn't go out and kill anybody, okay? Um, so we can't blame the problem that's here in Baltimore City on this, this narrative that people like to throw out, it's, it's the single parent thing. And I, granted, I, I do not disagree that um, having a two-parent home um, is not a benefit for a child. I, I think that's important. I think all kids could benefit from having two parents in a home. But I, I also do not believe that... Um, a child that comes from a single parent home is going to have uh, a situation where they're going to just go out here and commit, commit a crime. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I know too many single parents out here who work two and three jobs to make sure their kids have what they need and get through school. And they have an entire village of people that support them. So I, I don't, I'm not buying that. And the other thing, we don't want to hold this school system accountable. And I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand why. I don't know if it's because they're mostly black people and, um, you know, chances are they will probably go to jail. I, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to figure it out. And I don't know if I want to figure it out because I think if I figure it out, it will make me more angry. And um, I, don't, I don't know if I, I need to know why these people feel like it's okay to do what they're doing to our kids. We see the crime rate going up. We see kids coming out of school, not just special needs kids, but all kids coming out of school, barely being able to read. How is that okay with you? How is that okay? We're going to end it there. Thank you for joining What the Fake podcast. And uh, I look forward to your comments, complaints, concerns, issues, um, and we can work through this together. Uh, see you next time. Thanks again for joining What the Faith Podcast.